the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, episode number 17, a conversation with Dwayne Carlisle and Jill Howard from the Rune for All Coalition. Hi, this is Reverend Dr. Mark Holland from Mainstream UMC, where we are working hard to find common ground for the United Methodist Church moving forward. You're connected to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller, strengthening the connection through conversation and commentary. Welcome to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Brad believes that strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church is essential to accomplishing the mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. The United Methodist People podcast helps clergy and church leaders connect with key insights, hear inspiring stories, and learn from the people making a difference in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. And now, here's Brad. Hello, good people, and welcome to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. Glad you've joined us here today as we continue to seek to strengthen the connection in the United Methodist Church through conversation and commentary. We are recording this episode in the early days of June of 2019. This, of course, is annual conference season in the life of the church. During the month of June, our conferences get together and they do the business of the church. And among those things is to elect delegates to uh, general conference, this case, general conference of 2020. And of course, we all know, and those of us familiar with the with the stress in our church, the angst in our church, that there is uh, the stakes are high regarding uh, matters in the church and matters and those who represent our various annual conferences to general conference uh, are very uh, are very important uh, a voice in this whole matter. And so uh, today we're talking with a couple of people who are involved with the progressive side of the United Methodist Church, and they are working uh, towards um, uh, a movement to be inclusive of all people as we deal with matters of homosexuality and other things in the, in the life of our church. Uh, Reverend Dwayne Carlisle is a pastor at Broadway United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, and Jill Howard is pastor at Rosedale Hills United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, and they also were they also were a part of the recent uh, rally held at Resurrection Church, uh, Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City, Kansas, where a lot of folks, some 600 folks, came together to discuss uh, kind of UMC next, and so we have a great conversation with these folks about their experience at UMC Next, and their thoughts and their feelings about um, what's going on in the life of the church right now, and uh, what are some options moving forward. And both these folks have are, have been have nominated their names uh, to be uh, candidates for general conference candidates representing the Indiana Conference for General Conference 2020, and they share a little bit about what they feel would be uh, what they bring to the table should they be elected. So this is a, a great uh, a great conversation here we're having. 
If you want to find out more about what we're doing here, the United Methodist People Podcast, check out our website, unitedmethodistpodcast.com. And we also publish our podcast at, on Facebook at facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast. And on the website, you can, if you join our, our list, you can find out more about upcoming episodes and you get a free gift there of a PowerPoint presentation called The Wesleyan Way that you might find helpful. Glad you're with us here on the United Methodist Podcast uh, as we have a conversation with Dwayne Carlisle and Jill Howard right now. And I'm privileged to have with me today a couple people who are kind of in the mix, very much in the mix of of what is happening in uh, in the progressive side of things in our church. Dwayne Carlisle is pastor of Broadway United Methodist Church in Indianapolis. He's a staunch advocate of LGBTQ plus rights and serves on the steering committee of the Coalition for Full Inclusion. As a multiracial individual, Dwayne believes his perspective and life experiences help him understand and be an advocate for others into full inclusion. He is a pastor of a Reconciling Ministries Church. And we're also pleased to have with us Jill Howard, who is pastor of the Rosedale Hills United Methodist Church in Indianapolis. She's a young progressive clergywoman. She's worked to make national and international connections and sees value in making a room for all voices, especially those who have been silenced for too long. She was a reserve delegate to General Conference in 2016 and 2019 and has experience with the United Methodist General Conference process and is an advocate for change. Jill, Dwayne, welcome to the podcast today. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Awesome. Well, let's get into our conversation here today. You... You, we're going to work on the assumption that a lot of folks listening to this have an understanding about the challenges facing our church and about the the uh, events of the two thousand, February 2019 General Conference and the traditional vote, 53% to the uh, one church vote, about uh, 48%, and the implications there. So I want to talk to you about the implications of that vote and what is now being done. What are some of the actions taking place? Both of you attended a conference in Kansas City, Kansas um, at Church of the Resurrection and regarding next steps in the church. So Dwayne, I'll start with you. Just give me a little idea of what happened at that conference. So it was a gathering where uh, there were folks representing about 53 annual conferences in the United States. There were folks from beyond that, but but by and large it was uh, U.S. Uh, folks uh, from People who were invited, and I and my assumption is that that it was word of mouth uh, among us connected Methodist folks. We're very connected, as as we know, we talk about our own connection. Um, that got the word that the Church of the Resurrection uh, was going to hold this event to talk about what we could do in the aftermath of what happened in St. Louis at the Special Called General Conference uh, in February of 2019. And so there were. Uh, over 600 folks, um, probably maybe eight to ten folks from each of these annual conferences that were invited. It was a very uh, diverse um, mix of people, um, and we came to talk about both what we had seen and where we were, both in our hearts and our spirit, um, and in our ideas about the organization of our church at large. Um, uh, there was a, uh, some lamentations, there was worship, and then there was uh, difficult conversations about, you know, what can we do, um, given that what had happened in, in uh, St. Louis um, was um, the official process of the church. And so we, we spent 
uh, essentially two whole days, a half day, a full day of work, and then another half day um, on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday talking well, together. Jill, Jill, what were some of, out of this conference, what were some of the takeaways that came out of it? What emerged out of the conference that is kind of informs us as we move forward in the church? Mm-hmm. I think the conference went in a direction that I don't know if the planning team expected, but we spent a lot of time talking about the isms, <laughs> the isms of the church. Uh, for example, racism, okay. the sin of racism that has permeated our church in the past, present, and probably the future. So there was a lot of emphasis in the beginning on naming that, that racism, for example, is the root of all the other isms that we are facing in the church. So that came out for me as something for us to consider and think about, that until we overcome all of those issues that have divided the church in the past to continue to exclude voices, continue to do harm, to discriminate, until we address those head on, we're not going to get very far. So in some ways, the decision in February was symptomatic of the root, of the, the deeper cause. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So that the time in Kansas City for me was a good reminder that okay. we we're not just talking about human sexuality. We're talking about racism, sexism, all those things that that keep people on the outside. Anyway, people are marginalized. Correct. In, anyway, and it's in the church. It's everywhere. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's kind of raised its ugly head in this process, mm-hmm. hasn't it? Yes. Where a lot of those submerged before. Here we are. Yes. So any actual uh, you so you dealt with the isms kind of the recause any takeaways out of the conference that uh, we're working with here now any resolutions anything like this that came out well the four principles are going to be key for us moving forward that came out of Kansas City okay and we can name those yeah why don't we just touch on those briefly here so the four commitments basically we were presented with a list of things that the planning team for the um next event had hoped for and then they gave it to the 600 of us to kind of wrestle with the language you know united methodists we love to get into the linguistics conversation and semantics they, they told us not to words that just put your thoughts down <laughs> but we did of course um, so at the end of the two and a half days we were able to come up with a, a four principles that we could all agree on and something that we all wanted to take moving forward. So if anything, these four principles are key in our work ahead. And so the four commitments, uh, number one, to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ, committed to a Wesleyan vision of Christianity. Number two, to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in all forms and toward all people and build a church which affirms the full participation of all ages, nations, races, classes, cultures, gender identities, sexual orientations, and abilities. Number three, to reject the traditional plan approved at General Conference 2019 as inconsistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ and resist its implementation. And number four, to work to eliminate discriminatory language and the restrictions and penalties in the Book of Discipline regarding LGBTQ individuals. Okay. Well, Dwayne, out of this conference, we've got these four principles that have emerged, and both of you are uh, residents of the uh, of Indianapolis, part of the Indiana Conference, and I know you're active in some of the efforts to implement mm-hmm. some of the next 
phase thinking, next church thinking here. How is that coming about? What are some ways that some of the results of Kansas City are being acted on next step here in the Indiana Conference? Well, actually, I think that the event that we're going to have tonight, which is right here at St. Luke's, is the beginning of that process. Um, we in Indiana are having our annual conference a little bit later than we often do and later than many other annual conferences are having theirs. So, so we're actually seeing um, the results um, across the United States uh, in, in different annual conferences as forms of, of resistance or re rejection of this. And I think that our work in Indiana is to um, invite people uh, who really don't believe that what happened uh, in February represents who we are as United Methodist, uh, to, to find um, language to, to support the ideas of these four principles, even if, even if it's not these four, uh, the, in the specific words exactly, but the ideas behind this and to um, create an, enough momentum that will uh, create a different narrative that will move towards um, changing those processes, which which are uh, you know part of our our discipline and um, the things that that are part of our structure, mm -hmm. so we're beginning that by getting people together. Yeah, mm -hmm. and part of the a term that is arisen out of this whole conversation is holy resistance, mm -hmm. and uh, I believe that's a part of what's going to be in conversation and that what's UMC next or whatever we're calling this. Uh, Jill, what, what's that look like? What are some examples of what that might look like, even a local church level or a individual pastor or a committed layperson? Mm -hmm. What holy resistance? Let's speak to that a little bit. Well, I think what Dwayne said about the importance of people coming together. I think that for the first time, and I don't know how long our church is seeing people who may have been on the fence or just kind of their heads in the sand are are angry. I think that there's power in a righteous anger that. People are feeling the courage, some some for the first time, to speak up and say, uh, maybe I don't know how I feel about this topic, but I think this is wrong. The way that the United Methodist Church has decided on this traditional plan with the the extra rules and, and the harsh language around mm -hmm. people who even think differently about the interpretation of Scripture, how we enact that. So the first thing is we are saying that we're not alone. We're coming together to do that. Second, uh, we speak out. We or we use our our power of, of convening and our voices to come together and and say we're angry. We think this is discriminatory. We think it's a witch hunt. That's what some people have said, mm -hmm. and that this is not okay. So to use the power of voice um, to to pray for one another. And, and to love one another. Mm -hmm. And so um, we brainstorm ways at, at the UM Next that we might resist. Uh, some interesting ideas came out of that, uh, whether it was having everybody on the same month or whatever do, do a same-sex wedding or, or to, um, to do things that would say, this isn't happening, mm -hmm. that, that this, this plan is just not in line with what we think. Yeah. And Dwayne, just for just to clarify, because I sometimes think we need to state what it is. Could you just state again for us what are the ramifications of the of the traditional plan, and then how maybe some folks in your church are are speaking towards that? Yeah. So I was thinking about that as Jill was speaking a moment ago about things that people are doing. So in addition to that, 
I think a lot of uh, congregations that um, uh, were afraid to talk about this are now willing to talk about this and even to make uh, very bold statements um, coming together in their in their church councils or whatever their governing structure is and to say that we together as a as a congregation um, are going to make a statement that says that, that we don't agree with this. Um, and some of those things uh, are even putting visible statements outside the walls of our church to the, to the, to the um, community at large. Several congregations have, have had um, colorful demonstrations, you know, with the, with the colors that represent the LGBTQ community. I'm suggesting that this is a church that affirms that. Basically, posters of rainbow colors. Posters of rainbow thing. colors, yeah. putting doors with rainbow colors on them, and saying that our doors like all are, are welcome open. or things Absolutely. of this nature. Absolutely. Um, at, at Broadway, which has been a long-time reconciling church, we've we put those out. We we've, have always felt like folks knew that. But in the several months since February now, and we've had a, a rainbow sign of some kind out front, um, we have had people who we have no idea who they're just kind of walking through the door and saying, oh, I've seen this sign outside. Now we, it's clear you know, who you are, and this is what we align with. And they're, they're allies. They're people from the LGBTQ community, all kinds of folks. So your original question was, and Jill, you can jump in and help me with this, but um, you know, what's the effect of this? And, and what happened in, in February really made stronger what already was. And I think that many folks thought that um, uh, the, the, some of the doublespeak that was in the discipline, language that said uh, LGBTQ persons are of sacred worth on the right. one hand, and yet on the other hand said um, LGBTQ persons can't be called into ministry and they can't, uh, their, their relationships cannot be blessed. So there was, you know, there was mm-hmm. some tension in that. And so what happened in February was that those things um, were strengthened. Um, we didn't, it didn't affirm that, you know, we had to ask LGBTQ members to leave our churches, but the, the part about blessing their relationships, the part about LGBTQ folks being uh, called as clergy people, that, was, that door was absolutely slammed yeah. shut. It sent a clear message, didn't it? And it sent a very clear message, and, and, and it sent a, a very punitive policy where there was latitude for each individual annual conference, each bishop, to deal with, you know, even, even in the current state, to deal with it as he or she thought was appropriate for places that, you know, for folks that had done some of this holy resistance. Now, you know, holy resistance becomes a penalty. Um, in, including um, loss of, of, of clergy credentials if, if one is brought up on, on charges twice. And part of the pushback of the whole decision then uh, at General Conference was the severity and the harshness mm-hmm. of the language, uh, as I'm understanding, that even some folks who may have been inclined for theological or biblical reasons or other reasons to be more traditionally oriented, some folks are saying that this is just not the, mm-hmm. the harshest of the penalties. It's just right. the, mean-spirited. The, you know? Absolutely. The church before, I mean, left us room to, to feel some, some, some space between where we were theologically, gave us room to disagree even. Um, and, and the practices did not always necessarily mirror the policy itself. And, and, and one of the challenges was that that varied from annual conference to annual conference, often depending on, on the leadership. Um, but but now this what happened uh, in, in St. Louis tries to remove any latitude that's available. Yes. Mm-hmm. So at this point, given this information we've talked about here now, 
both of you are part of the next church movement, at least here in Indiana, but also connected around the world to that movement. And a part of it is organizing. Now, organizing next steps and impl- implementing uh, actions that take place. You mentioned local church actions, but both of you are here to sh- share, share that you and some others are willing to step up and to get involved in the general conference and so on. So tell me a little bit about how you are organizing to get uh, folks elected to general conference and other things of this nature, general mm-hmm. boards, agencies, whatever. Jill, can you speak to that a little bit? Mm-hmm. What kind of organizing is going along mm-hmm. that line? So we have a few different groups here in Indiana that we're, we're trying to get all together. I mean, there's the Room for All Coalition. There's Uniting Methodists Indiana. There's Reconciling uh, Ministries. There's also the Methodist Reformation Reclamation Project. Project yeah. So there are several different groups that are, are all trying to get together to say, we may all come from different places, even theologically, but we, we do not agree with this traditionalist plan and think it's unjust. So the question has been, well, what can we do? How can we come together? So one of the things that we're doing is we have come up with a process for people who would like to be endorsed by this coalition, the Uniting Methodists, to say, these are persons that have applied to be endorsed by our group that are are even centrist or, or more progressive that would be willing to serve at General Conference. So they can be put up front to people attending annual conference who are going to vote to say, well, yeah, I, I don't know if I agree with the traditional plan either. Here's a list of people that are willing to work for change. Yeah. And what were some of the criteria those folks were asked to uh, mm-hmm. adhere to? Well, the, we follow the process that anyone follows to be a general conference candidate. So they would have to apply for it. Um, some were endorsed by their districts, and then once that was that was complete, then they would send their name. They send their name into our group, who. We filled an application, they were screened, and then um, eight were selected okay. to be on that list. And it's my understanding both of you are among the, those selected mm-hmm. to be endorsed. Yes. So, Dwayne, tell me then, um, you know, I'm a voting member of the Indiana Conference as a clergy person, and presumably other clergy voting members will be listening to this, and I understand you have a similar list for laity, is that correct? That's correct. Mm-hmm. And uh, so presumably lay members of their local church will be voting here. Why should I or any other clergy vote for you, Dwayne? What are you? What is your personal investment here? So, for me personally, I think that one of the um, perspectives that I bring to this diverse group of folks that, that we're suggesting folks vote for um, is is a history of um, a, a congregation that has has moved past this LGBTQ debate stuff. We have been an official reconciling congregation for for several years, but but in in practice since the late 80s, been a church that has welcomed um, LGBTQ folks. And so, in fact, as this kind of got more and more um, uh, entangled in this debate, we were questioning where is our part, because in some parts, congregations like ours, and there are not a lot, um, have moved past this. And so to kind of move ourselves back into that space. So there are folks in our congregation that say, you know, if, if the church can't work this out, you know, as, as we have as a local church, we're just going to kind of cut ourselves off. And, and I say to, to these folks, you know, it's time for us to, to, to re-enter into this because we have so many brothers and sisters in other congregations that, that need our, our support, our encouragement, and even our experience. And so I want to bring that kind of voice to these kinds of questions um, as well. Um, 
Because that's part of how you would be investing yes. the kind of almost unique situation of Broadway into the conversation here. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Well, Jill, I, need, I guess I just need to ask you a similar question. Mm-hmm. You have served as an alternate delegate mm-hmm. the last two mm-hmm. general conferences, and you're willing to give it another shot here, <laughs> which is admirable in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but tell me, why should I vote for you as a clergy person to uh, General Conference 2020? Well, I think Dwayne had a really good point when he said, our list that we have come up with on purpose is diverse. That I think part of our motivation is we've seen for too long our delegation be too old, too white, too male, um, too conservative, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So we need to have a diverse group of people come to the table that are making these decisions that represent all the United Methodist Church, not just one part. And so for me personally... I mean, I'm a young clergywoman. I'm 36. I'm getting to that point where I, maybe I'm middle-aged clergywoman at this point. But, you're, you're but I'm you. under 40, right? So so that, that voice is Especially valuable. given the average age of clergy and members yes. of our churches. Yes. You're, yes. you're a child, basically. Yes. <laughs> so bringing that voice, I think, is vital. And also, I just feel like I have a passion for giving voice to those who have suffered for too long on the margins that... There are people called to ministry who, just because they are, are, mm-hmm. are not given the same privilege that mm-hmm. I have been given. So you want to speak for the, I'll just call it the consternation that's going on in our mm-hmm. church right now. Speak to right. that. Yeah, very good. And the, just the fact that younger generations, we have uh, Ronnie Bell is on our list, and he's, he's what, in his late 20s, yeah. maybe? So... This is the future of the church, and unfortunately, we have a lot of people who are at the top that are making these decisions that won't be around to see the aftermath or to deal with it. And so, yeah. so the younger people, generations need to step up. We need some folks involved who are engaged, who plan to be here for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so let's speak about the implications of this in real, in real terms, real people now for a minute before we close our conversation. Um, Dwayne, tell me about a person or situation that you saw personally uh, impacted by this decision that caused just great anguish, great consternation, and it kind of was a motivating factor for you. Uh, you know, the person that, that comes to my mind first is uh, a woman in our congregation who is one of our two lay leaders. Um, her name is Hope, um, and Hope is just an amazing person, which is why she's obviously in a, in a position of leadership in the congregation. Um, Hope's uh, a younger African-American woman. Um, she has a very important job working for the city. She's in the mayor's cabinet. She's a very uh, driven person. And she came to Broadway because uh, she believes in, in the justice work, not just around LGBTQ justice, but all, all issues of justice. She was instrumental in bringing some um, things like the Bail Project, which helps uh, incarcerated folks um, uh, work through 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 the challenges of the bail process. So so you know we have folks like Hope who are just very justice oriented. So in the, in the immediate aftermath of um, St. Louis, uh, you know, we had some conversations with with lay people and, and with our with our pastors. And um, as I had alluded to a moment before, you know we were questioning, you know, where are we in this conversation when when we sometimes think that we as a congregation have kind of solved a lot of this and 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 i recall her having this this look on her face and tears are, are streaming down her face because of her hurt for 
all the LGBTQ people that she knows personally in our congregation. Um, and she said, if we don't enter into this, just like we enter into you know, deep conversations about racism and um, sexism and others, then we are abdicating our responsibilities as Christians, as followers of the gospel. Um, and so it's not just the, the LGBTQ community that's impacted by this, but all the people who love them, who care about this as a justice issue, who, you know, when someone like Hope says, you know, I see, I'm going to make up a couple of names here, you know, Joe and Mark who have raised kids and who love their kids and have been in this committed relationship together. And it looks just like my other friends, you know, John and Sally who have raised their kids, you know, that this is who the world is and this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what the church is called to do. And so I think yeah. of people like that. Awesome. I'll come back to that. I want to come back to a little different tack here, but I want to ask you the same question, Jill. Basically, personal experience, either a person, a church, some situation mm-hmm. that's touched you of mm-hmm. anguish or consternation. Well, being at General Conference, uh, it's almost coming back and having post-traumatic <laughs> stress disorder just because you've been in... It felt like we were at war. I mean... Seeing the people there, especially the LGBT community, that they were in the, the stands watching, and at one point you just had yelling, just no, 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 after the traditional plan was passed. So seeing that, that angst and then people walking around in silence, you know, waving the flags or they had tape over their mouths because they feel like they've been silenced. I saw a young man sitting outside the uh, the meeting area with a sign that said um, say goodbye to me before we're no longer welcome mm. so that's, just, that's ridiculous yeah it? it's just so absurd those, that that could be happening in our church yeah so the, the broken heartedness that I witnessed at the actual conference itself mm-hmm. uh, in the aftermath again I'm going to pick on the, the young people uh, we had at general conference uh, a young person stand up and say Within the past 24 hours, we've had 15,000 youth sign a statement that we do not want the traditionals plan. 15,000 youth in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. More would have signed on, I'm sure. If they knew about it. And we had 800 and some people voting on the future of the church, and yet 15,000 youth could not shake them. Earlier today, and we'll kind of close on this thought here, earlier today I was in a conversation with some pastors, a prayer, actually a prayer service for annual conference. And uh, one of the pastors mentioned about a sense of resignation in, in himself and in the church and needing to have a sense to rebuild hope. Now, both of, and the part of that having to do refusing to give up. And I see both of you, in as much as you have chosen to run for general conference and get involved with the process of the next church, are not giving up. I'm going to make that presumption. But I'm going to ask you, Dwayne, what do you see as signs of hope that we can hang on to, to so we don't live in resignation? You know, what I see is the things that have happened just in the last two weeks all around the country. I have seen um, annual conferences that have gone ahead and ordained LGBTQ uh, clergy uh, when there were questions, and some were even held back last year, and they're saying uh, that that's part of that holy resistance, that we're not going to stand for this. I've seen very clear statements coming not just out of individuals or congregations, but out of whole regions, whether it be an annual conference or a whole jurisdiction. Um, and I see um, people speaking aloud and 
it's starting to be a unified voice that says, um, we are more than this as Christians, we are more than you see, we are better than this, um, and that the, that the kingdom of God looks a whole lot bigger than our imagin- imaginations are currently. Awesome. Jill, the same thing, signs of hope. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of what, what Dwayne has named. I also see that people are just on fire right now, to be honest. Um, even people that I would have expected to step out are stepping out. And there's so much energy around this right now. Mm-hmm. That honestly, after General Conference, uh, especially after being there, I just felt this this immense grief. And it's one of the situations where I thought... You know, we really lost here. But then, but then all of a sudden things are happening that we're seeing these movements. We're seeing entire annual conferences, entire groups of people resisting this and saying, this isn't right. And so that's the way that change happens, right? Yeah. Uh, we, we step up, we step out, we have courageous conversations. We, we are, are bold and prophetic. And that is what the kingdom is. And reformers, yeah. if we're talking about a reformation in one form or another. Yeah. Well, I want to just close on this thought myself that one of the things that I think we have to keep in mind is the folks who aren't going to anybody's church and who are not connected to Christ through a local church and the implications all of this has on the folks in the communities who we are not reaching and how they see us. So I think the world's looking at us right now and the decisions we make and the reformations we do or don't do are vital to the, the purpose of our church. Okay, our purpose is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for transformation of the world. This is a part of the process we have to do. So I want to thank Dwayne Carlisle and Jill Howard for being our guest today on the United Methodist People podcast. Many thanks to Dwayne Carlisle from Broadway Church, Broadway UMC in Indianapolis, and Jill Howard pastor at Rosedale Hills United Methodist Church in Indianapolis for spending some time with us here today on the United Methodist People podcast. Uh, You had to hear the passion in their voice and and we live in a very emotional time in our life of our church. It is a defining moment. Uh, I I feel, and I think many of us feel that the church will never be the same uh, as it was just a year or so ago. That certainly is the case, but certainly we're in the midst of change here in the year 2019 and 20 and 21. A lot of things are happening in uh, Jill and Dwayne certainly spoke to those, and we all need to be involved with this conversation. So if you want to be involved with this conversation with me, you can always respond uh, to me and others on our Facebook page, among other places, facebook.com slash United Methodist Podcast. Leave your comments there or on our website, uh, United Methodist Podcast dot com. And there's that. Well, also, it's helpful if you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, other places like that. We're glad you're with us here for the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. And let me just leave you today with the words of John Wesley, which I think are pertinent as they ever have been. To do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, at all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Thanks so much for listening to the United Methodist People podcast with Reverend Dr. Brad Miller. You can continue the conversation and commentary about strengthening the connection in the United Methodist Church to accomplish our mission 
of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Visit the United Methodist People podcast on the web at unitedmethodistpodcast.com and connect at facebook.com slash unitedmethodistpodcast. And always do all the good you can.